Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Well, welcome to Amplified. We are live in D.C., and we have Larry coming on from Arizona. He got up not really extra early. He's always up early to be on any show. And uh, we have, of course, Rosa also in Baltimore. So we just had an amazing weekend in uh, Orlando, Florida with Author 101, and I went to the 10th Annual Unconference with uh, Nancy Matthews. Both wonderful events, met amazing people, maybe even met some new people that will be on the show. So that's pretty cool, too. So, Rosa, how was your weekend? Uh, it was great. It was uh, my, my weekends are busy, but they're great. So uh, a lot of a lot of social media work on the weekends too. Okay, I was going to say, don't give too many specifics. We don't want to let the cat out of the bag. What you did this weekend, but <laughs> since you did social media, <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and give a marketing tip, and let's be bold and brash if we can, because Larry's going to obviously uh, be critiquing this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, one powerful way to use. Um, social media to find new business opportunities is to create posts that actually ask questions. Um, first, engagement skyrockets as people start leaving their comments, you know, their answers in the comment section. But second, you can get really valuable information. You can ask things like, what's your biggest challenge or problem? Or if you could change one thing about blank, what would that be? Uh, what's most important to you when buying blank? I mean, you could actually ask them to give you the answer so that you can turn around and give them what they need. So you'll get some great insights doing that. So ask questions with your posts. Okay, well, I don't normally chip in uh, with your, your tip, but I'll just say on behalf of Larry, I'll say uh, create posts that actually are a bit controversial. Create post, uh, posts that are engaging and really make you mm-hmm. uh, somewhat unique and, and vulnerable so that people see you're a real person. So uh, without further ado, I'm so excited to have Larry on the show. Rosa, would you be so kind as to introduce him? Yes. Larry Winget is a best-selling author, television personality, social commentator, and internationally acclaimed speaker. He has written six New York Times bestsellers. Larry has started in his own television series on AME two PBS specials, and two CNBC specials. He has appeared on Larry King, Dr. Phil, Today Show, and he's a regular contributor on various networks as a personal development, business, and financial world. He is known as the pitbull of personal development. Well, welcome, Larry. How are you doing? I'm always good. It's good to be Larry Winget. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, my pleasure. I'll tell you, this is our third show on Amplified Influencer Channel. We've been on uh, Voice America for a couple of years, but we got to step up to the big time because we are attracting wonderful influencers like you that really cause a difference in the world. So thank you for choosing an hour to be with us. Sure. Happy to do it. So what was it that uh, I, I know that if I had changed my profile to a puppy dog or a gorilla or something like that, I might have lost you as a friend. And I might have lost uh, the respect you have for me because so, I remember I remember one day you posted, I just cleaned out 150 of my friends because they were donkeys or whatever else. <laughs> yeah, either they – what always kind of confuses me about Facebook is all the people who will be on there and not have their face. 
Um, so I looked around at all these people who said they were my friends, and I said, you don't even have a face. You shouldn't be on here on Facebook. So I deleted all those people. And I don't like people who post memes and other things with unicorns and rainbows and all that. That's pretty much, to me, the, the kiss of death of quality uh, memeing. Well, I, I do agree with you. I've, I've okay. seen people that have maybe one photo from 1946, and then they have all these memes of the unicorns, and et cetera, and dreamy stuff, and you don't know who this person is or how you're going to connect with them because they're... they're oh, you know who they are. World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we were going to do a long intro. It's take about 24 minutes to do the intro for you, but we, I saw a skit that you did that uh, long intros are for people that <laughs> need to be in front of the audience and want to sell the fact that they don't need to be in front of the audience. So I really enjoyed that that video because that was a nice twist and I do when I'm in the audience hear this long intro about how great they are I, I do kind of think well what are you doing here <laughs> that's right if you were so good at doing that why do you have to do this so, uh, that's what I that's the way I always go on stage I always get right to the point with uh, my presentations or even in my books or or even interviews well, since you've gotten right to the point, I know that uh, I want to hear your story or how you kind of, what was it in your childhood that caused you, I know that you had a childhood that wasn't necessarily um, dirt poor, but it was a little dusty. So uh, tell, us, tell us about that childhood that was dusty that kind of got you where you are now. Uh, I grew up in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma. And as you, I can tell now, you watched my PBS special where I did talk about uh, we weren't dirt poor, but we were dusty. Uh, you know, my mom and daddy both worked uh, in retail. My dad for Sears for 47 years. My mom worked in a little gift store for just that long that was next door to Sears. And uh, uh, I grew up, They, my dad raised chickens and sold them on the side. And that's, uh, it wasn't a, a very... Um, uh, affluent uh, growing up, I will say that. But I learned great values. I learned the values of hard work and and always telling the truth. My mom and daddy did not tolerate dishonesty in any form. My dad taught me about integrity, that a man is only as good as his word. And so those kind of things were the things that I was surrounded with all day long and were sort of just ingrained in who I was. And so that really had a big influence on who I am today. I also grew up uh, Pentecostal holiness, I mean, hellfire and brimstone, where you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. So that sort of black and white living, I'm certainly not that way now. In fact, I've gone a million miles the other direction from that now. But that sort of it's right or it's wrong mentality really did have a positive influence on me that I don't have a lot of gray areas in my life. And growing up poor made me not want to be poor. So I decided very early that I was not going to live that way any longer. And a kid made fun of me when I was in the eighth grade for only having one pair of jeans because they had a tear in the pocket in the same place. So it was obvious <laughs> he embarrassed me. And so I made a decision on that day when I was 13 and in the eighth grade that I was going to do whatever it took not to be poor again because nobody was ever going to make fun of me for that. And so I just decided I could do uh, work harder and that's the one thing that I could do that other people couldn't do is no matter how hard anybody else could work, I could work a little harder. I could come in a little earlier. I could stay a little later. I could skip breaks and lunch, and I could do a little more. And that sort of work ethic propelled me in whatever job I ever had uh, to really where I am today. I've worked harder than most folks. 
Well, I, it shows. I mean, when you do a Google search for you, it's amazing what you've done with your life. And I will say uh, the commonality I hear of people that have made it big is that story of a hole in the jeans that they just don't want to be that way and they're uncomfortable uh, in that in that particular position. And, of course, if that hadn't happened, you might have been too comfortable to actually want to work hard. Well, I think that you'll find that in everybody who really is successful, that they've gone through a lot, even if they didn't start out poor. I see what the way I grew up as a real advantage, not a disadvantage. But even if they didn't start out that way, we all have our ups and downs, and it's the downs where we learn the most, and it's downs that really show you more of who you are and what you're made of and what you're willing to do. That's what it comes down to. So many people talk about what they want to do, but very few people focus on what they're willing to do. One of the books that I read early on, and I've read in the last 35 years over 5,000 books, and I read constantly as much as I possibly can, and that gave me a big advantage. You, you need to, when you do what I do, and you write, and you speak, and so forth, have a depth of experience, but you also need a depth of research. So all that reading helps me. But I read a book by Mike Kernacki called The Ultimate Secret to Getting Absolutely Everything in Life You Want. And one of those was that you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Life rarely calls on you to do actually whatever it takes, but it always calls on you to be willing. And that willingness really stuck with me. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. They're just not willing to do what it takes. They just want and wish and so forth. And they make plans and dreams. And, of course, we live in a society that's all caught up in their passions and their dreams and and all that worthless stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just came out with a book earlier this year, and uh, thank you very much for reading my book I sent you back in 2009 that had yeah. these spelling errors on the back cover that you were so friendly to point out to me. And, uh, you know, that's a real friend is that they tell you when there's spinach on the front of your teeth. So I want to tell you that I did correct those errors because when I paid my editor to you know, given once over in the book, or I should say a, a two or three times over, I really thought that I was paying $1,000 to get, you know, with the embarrassment of grammaticals out of the way. And that book had 42 grammaticals, and the glaring one was on the first uh, first sentence of the back cover, and you just can't have that. And so when you, uh, when you wrote me about that and didn't unfriend me on top of it, I said, okay, well, at least I got a good Facebook friend here. And so over the, <laughs> since, since 2009, I've written uh, probably another 17, 18 books, nothing at the level or caliber of you have with uh, your six, uh, I guess, New York Times bestsellers. How many other books have you written besides that? I wrote and self-published 25 books. So I was, did a lot like you. I had a lot of little short self-pub books before I ever wrote Shut Up, Stop Whining and Get a Life and sold it. And the only reason I even offered it to a publisher, because I was selling a lot of self-pub books, is yep. that a friend of mine said, you know, you can get your book in bookstores. And none of my little self-pubs were. So I said, all right, I'll sell it to this publisher. And I let him have it. It immediately went to number one on uh, the bestseller list. Do you recall who that publisher was? That was Wiley for that. Yeah, one. you've been you've been with Wiley quite a few times. In fact, your new book. They did the first one and they did the last one. I was with Penguin in between those. Okay, well, um, I love the new book. I, I went and got it last week and haven't finished it completely, but it's a, a great read, and I certainly appreciate the purpose for people where you ask people, uh, I guess, to b- bounce off what the name of the book meant to them, and they said, "Why don't? Why are you being so negative? Why don't we?" Why don't you create a positive thing about what's right about everything, and, and then you explain, well, that doesn't really fix the problem. So uh, tell us about that new book. 
Well, the new book's What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything, about the collapse of core values and how the cap- collapse of core values is destroying us. Every time I write a book, I look around at what's going on in the world and what kind of pisses me off, and uh, that's what I write about. <clears throat> and I've talked in my last six books about what people could do. And that's really important to figure out if you're doing the wrong thing, uh, you need to do something else. I can look at all I've done for 30 years in this business, in the self-help, personal development, business development business, and I can sort of boil it down to the oldest joke in the world. Guy goes into the doctor and says, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, then don't do that. (laughs) And so I talk to people about doing things differently in all of those books. And I realized after writing six books and spending nearly 30 years on stages telling people what they could do differently, that they weren't really doing it. And I looked around at all of the, the speakers and all of the books and all the workshops and seminars and all the social media and all the ignorant stuff that we all do thinking we're making a difference and we're not. And that's because we're attacking the problem the wrong way. We're trying to just change actions. And while changing actions works, and ultimately that's what you have to do in order to change results, trying to get people to change their actions doesn't typically last very long if it isn't in alignment with their core values. And so our problems going on in the world today in business and parenting and government and with our money uh, in every single area of life and business all come down to core values. So I took it back this time to core values. I wanted us to... uh, Really look deep at who we are, what we believe, because that's where the actions come from. So that's why this book is a little different than my other books. Well, I wasn't very happy when I went to Barnes & Noble last week, and they only had this book and Grow a Pair, because I wanted to buy them all last week and give a good read to all of them. uh, Well, you know what? Barnes & Noble has so many books, and bookstores uh, have so many books come through their their uh, their bookstores that because there are so many new authors that your older uh, library rarely stays in a in a bookstore for very long. They'll carry your current stuff, the last two, but you know I've got seven books out there right now that still do quite well, but they don't always take up shelf space because some new guy's coming along and bumping off your last one. Right. Well, they're all available on Amazon, I'm sure. Right. Oh, absolutely. You can even buy a library from me on my website. So, <laughs> Yeah, t- tell us about that library. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, you get all of my books autographed, and, and uh, I'll sign them right to you, and you can get the whole library just going to LarryWingett.com. I even have a comic book of my first book, Shut Up, Stop Money, and Get a Life. They decided that uh, years ago that when they first were going to create graphic nonfiction books, I call them comic books because of uh, the era I grew up in, that I was the perfect comic book superhero. So if anybody wants to see Larry Wingett as a superhero, I look a lot like He-Man in that thing, which is really cool for an old ball guy. So there you go. Yeah, I saw you posted that as seven-year anniversary on your yeah. page recently. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, in this library, how many, how many books are you throwing in there? I think there's seven books in there. Yeah, all okay. the bestsellers plus the comic book. So. Okay, that's that's a good. And how much is that? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, it's cheaper, and you can buy them all together any place else. I think it's like seventy bucks or something. 
Well, you're allowed to put me on the spot too, Larry. I didn't. I, I, certainly <laughs> I mean, if you want to tell, maybe I tell you how many errors I had in my second edition of the first book. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I, I saw a video recently, also that you're uh, you have a rental opportunity for some of your books uh, as well. It's it's like six yeah, books. Yeah, videos based on a lot of what goes in my books. I did uh, several hours worth of just sitting in front of a camera covering a variety of topics. I talk about 12 different things on there. I've created all these different videos uh, that's really quite lengthy. I think it adds up to about eight or nine hours worth of information. And you can rent all of that for me. You get to rent it for a year. And it's uh, only 99 bucks. You can even just pick the topic that you want and rent those individually if you'd like. But you can get the whole package for Hundred bucks, so the heck of a deal. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, planning on telling my audience, you know, pitching like crazy, but I just find it fascinating that you have such great marketing mechanisms and your content so solid. It it really would serve anybody to hear that they're really their their own worst enemy. And I, I like how you uh, announced to an audience that you had a shirt, the shut up shirt that they, everyone was buying for their friends, but they they weren't buying it for themselves. And so you you printed it upside down so they could just look down and see it for themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, many years ago, I had a lot of the. Uh, really big guys in the business long before I was one of the big guys in the business come to me and said, you know, Larry, that's kind of demeaning to have t-shirts because if you really want to help people, you need to go more into video and audio and write more books and all that. And I said, really? And they said, yeah, t-shirts, that's, that's kind of like rock bands and so forth. And you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, well, you know, last year I sold nearly 20,000 of those t-shirts at 20 bucks a piece. And I said, so you do the math on me demeaning myself in the industry. And they said, really, 20,000 shirts at 20 bucks a piece? And I said, yeah, that was just last year. And they said, where do you get those shirts made? <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. So uh, I discovered, too, that people read a, a T-shirt a lot faster than they'll read a book. <laughs> They sure will. And you know what? Anyone that wears your shirt is a branding billboard for you. So they're, they're endorsing you at the same time. They might as well have the book in their hand. That's right. Yeah, so uh, I, I do applaud it. And speaking of your rock star T-shirts, you dress like a rock star. What, uh, what caused that to happen? How would you get well, that Well, again, it, it uh, goes back to when I was very young and didn't have a whole lot of money. And I used to sit on Saturday afternoons and with my grandmother while my mom and dad were at work, and on the television, we would watch Porter Wagner. Do you remember Porter Wagner? I don't. Porter but Wagner. I was, I, I was an army brat, so I was probably out of the country. Oh, now. there you go. Well, Porter Wagner was sort of uh, Dolly Parton's first singing partner. He was a big deal in country music at the time. And he wore sequin suits that I do. had all these different pictures on them, all sequined and rhinestones and all that. And growing up a poor kid in Muskogee, Oklahoma, I told my grandmother, I said, I bet that's how rich people dress. And she said, well, he's rich. And so I decided if I ever got rich, I wanted to dress like Porter Wagner and uh, wear all those fancy cowboy boots and cowboy shirts and all those cowboy suits. And one day about, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I had been a typical kind of business speaker wearing stuff uh, like everybody else wears and was kind of boring, even though I kind of added my flair all the time. <clears throat> I said, well, you know, I'm rich. And I dressed like that in my personal life. 
why not dress like that on the stage? So I started wearing the cowboy shirts and the boots that I'd been wearing off stage. I started wearing all that stuff on stage, and that's when I went on A&E as uh, had my own television show, and I kind of got known as the guy who wore those shirts, and I wear way too much jewelry and, uh, <laughs> and the boots and all that, and it just sort of became part of the brand. And do people emulate that? Do they ask you where they can get that stuff too? Oh, yeah. I've done uh, my boot makers and my cowboy shirt makers a lot of good over the years as a result of that. In fact, my cowboy shirt maker, as a result of all I'd done for the cowboy shirt industry, dedicated a shirt uh, uh, to me that was based on a design that is a tattoo, actually, that goes up my arm, which is a dollar sign going up in flames. And it's called the Money to Burn shirt. Oh, that's cool. Hey, so if you want to give a shout out to those two manufacturers, you're more than welcome to. Oh, sure. That one is uh, uh, Scully. So, yeah, everybody Scully. should uh, just go online and you can search anything online. You find all that stuff. <clears throat> and I'm not into pitch fest either, but uh, I appreciate it. You know, I want to go to what you said about that. One of the keys to success for anybody is to figure out multiple streams of revenue based on one singular uh, idea. Once you get your point of view, your premise, the benefit that you offer to people, there is a variety of ways of offering your services to others. And the more creative you are with that, the better off you'll be. I heard you guys at the top of the hour talking about uh, your tips for social marketing. I built my huge social marketing following the old-fashioned way by adding value. And that's what people have to do. You have to add a lot of value. But if they don't see your value through video as well as the written word, through T-shirts and everything else that you do, then you're never going to be recognized to as broad of an audience. I agree wholeheartedly. I wanted to ask you about, uh, you'd mentioned uh, don't, there's damn near everything uh, wrong with the core values. I was uh, going to start with parenting. So I have a four-year-old son, and <clears throat> I do agree with you. There's uh, a lot to be said for how parenting has changed. What do you recommend <laughs> to a new parent? Well, I did write a <clears throat> New York Times bestseller called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. So I yep, actually I have a best-selling <laughs> parenting book out there, which is, I believe, my most important book. Because if we really want to change the way things are, we've got to start with the kids. And the reason we're in the mess that we are today is that we have boomers who didn't do a good job with their kids, and that's how you end up with 34% of millennials living uh, with the financial support of their parents. So with kids, what you have to do is be real clear about right and wrong and the core values that you believe are important. Now, the core values that I stress are some of the ones I've mentioned already, honesty, integrity. And honesty is not conditional. We make core values conditional. Integrity is conditional. Um, you know, we, we heard in the last elections, it's okay for me to be this way because she was this way. And it's okay for me to be this way because he was this way. No, it's not okay. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's a lie, it's a lie all the time. And so we've, we can't be conditional in the way we, uh, we approach our, our words or our actions. It has to be the same all the time. That's what integrity is. And that's what we have to teach our kids. You know, we can't tell our kids you can't lie uh, or you can't cheat or you can't steal when we have 25% of Americans who steal uh, from the government by cheating on their taxes. 
you can't mm. tell your kids it's important to tell the truth when the telephone rings and the kid answers it and comes over and says, Mama, it's so-and-so on the phone, and she whispers back, just tell them I'm not here. That's a lie. You taught your kids it's okay to lie at that point. When you get back more change than you were supposed to get back at the grocery store, and you laugh and make fun of the fact that the, the uh, person counting the change gave you a dollar too much, you've taught your children that it's okay to steal and be dishonest. So honesty is something that you have to practice in all areas of your life all the time, and at that point it becomes integrity. And then you have to show the importance of work ethic and adding value to the lives of others and self-reliance instead of other reliance. Those kind of values are something you can teach from the time your child uh, first starts to understand words. And you are a father? I have two grown sons and I have three grandsons. And uh, I let both of my kids write a chapter for my Your Kids or Your Own Fault a book, and I said, you write anything you want to about how it was growing up with Larry Wingate as your father. And they both wrote <laughs> chapters of times in their life they really screwed up, and how I told them that it was important to take responsibility, and what they did to take responsibility for their mistakes, and they'd suffer the consequences of their error. And uh, I, I was really surprised to hear these stories is because I didn't read them ahead of time. I said, listen, I'm going to send them straight into the publisher. They go in like you wrote them. If you, make, uh, if you can't spell and you can't use good grammar, everybody in the world is going to know that who reads my book. So you make sure you do a good job, but whatever you say goes in the book. And they wrote uh, stories that actually kind of surprised me, and I, I was very appreciative of that, that I taught them the most important thing is you take responsibility. You don't blame if you did it. You own up to it, and you suffer the consequences for it, good or bad. Well, I've said this before on my show, but my dad uh, was a lot like you. He, I got over and getting into a movie theater once, uh, used an old ticket, and gave the money back to my dad, thinking I had saved him money. And he had us get in the car, go right to the movie theater, <laughs> and give them the money. And uh, it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have to understand that in – in life and in parenting and in business that consequences drive behavior. And if you want to change behavior, if you want to control behavior, and you should want to control, one of the things that really ticked off a lot of people when I wrote the book, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault, is that I said in there that uh, your family is not a democracy. Children don't get a vote. You're the adult. You have to guide them, and you must control their behavior. You must manipulate their behavior. You've got to teach them right and wrong. They don't get to decide. They don't get to vote uh, that families are absolute de- uh, monarchies, not democracies. Boy, I took a lot of heat over that. But if you want to control behavior and you want to teach anyone, especially kids, and then it moves on up into employees and so forth, you must impose consequences because consequences will always determine the kind of results that you get, the kind of behavior that people show you. Well, we're going to be going to break in a couple minutes, so I, I did want to make sure we kind of close out that part uh, with anything else you'd uh, recommend to parents that they could do to raise up an upstanding person. You know, the most important leader. thing I can I think we can teach kids is about money. I took a poll when I was doing the book, and 99%, which is kind of an overwhelming majority, I sent out a big poll to my base about what do you wish your parents had taught you, and every, uh, almost every one, 99% said they wish they had taught them more about money. 
because we have a disaster going on with people's finances because they don't understand how to earn it, save it, invest it, be charitable with it. They just don't get it. When you've got 43% of Americans spending more money than they earn, that shows how stupid we are when it comes to our money. So parents should teach their kids about money from the time they are tiny little kids. And unfortunately, they weren't taught, so it's a, it's a habitual Exactly right. Lesson. So it just multiplies as we move forward. All right. Well, we're going to go to break right now. We'll be back with Larry Wingen in a couple minutes. Thank you. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, welcome back to the second segment. What an exciting first segment with Larry Winget. We went through that in a couple minutes the way it felt, and I'm so happy that we have another 30 minutes with Larry. I guess the first thing I'd like to start off with is a quote that you said, and that quote was about um, success comes from what you do, not from what you say you're going to do. So a lot of people have a lot of problems with uh, creating success in their life. What do you think the number one thing is that stops them? Usually it's lack of clarity, and then it comes down to lack of action. They haven't gotten specific about what they would like to accomplish and the steps that it's going to take to accomplish it. And they've never really taken the action and then stuck with it long enough to actually achieve the results. I'll tell you another thing, and and this is the problem people have in business. They forget why business exists. And it's really clear, and I'm always amazed at this, why people don't understand that businesses exist for one reason and one reason only, and that's to be profitable. Otherwise, you're a charity. And uh, if you're going to run a business, that's the problem I have with all these idiot people who are teaching folks, everybody should be an entrepreneur and start your own business. Dumbest idea in the world. Most people have no business going into business. They need a job because they can't even keep their car clean, much less uh, run a business that serves others well. But most people need a job because they don't have the skills it takes to be in business, and they, people that are in business want to know why they go out of business. The vast majority go out by the time they're in it for five years, and then almost all are out by the time they're in it for seven years, is because they don't understand 
They need to be making money. You need to be profitable. And there's only one way to be profitable. And, that is, and this works in your personal life just like it does in your business life. You have to earn more money, and you have to cut back on your expenses. But we get confused along the way, and we think that businesses are there to make us happy and to bring about our passion and to, so we can take care of other people. Oh, bull. It's there to make money. And the only way to make money is to add a lot of value and to serve others well. But people get confused about those areas of business, and they get confused about what they really want and never have clarity around it, never take action on it, and then they don't understand the overall goal. That's a complicated answer to a very simple question, but there you go. Well, I mean, it does actually really address why there's an 80% failure rate in entrepreneurs and new businesses in the first few years. And then, of course, that doesn't mean that the other ones are profitable that lasted. That just means they didn't go to business yet. So I I totally understand your point. I work with a lot of folks. I had a woman I was coaching here in my office just this last week, and she very proudly was explaining to me how she had gone from zero to having a six-figure business in a matter of two years. And I said, wow, that's great. What did that cost you to do? And she said, what do you mean? I said, you have a six-figure business, which means you've made $100,000. If you're like everybody else, you fudged on about $20,000 of that. So I'm going to say you're running a seventy-five, $80,000 a year business. And she goes, yeah, maybe. Okay, and so, she, so she admits she lied about that. And then she, I said, how much money did you spend to make that? And by the time we, and I walked her through all that she had spent to make it, and she was still losing money. And I said, you don't have a business at all. You're running in the hole. That's not a six-figure business. You're running a business at a loss. Stop telling people that you've created a six-figure business. You've created a business that doesn't make money. In fact, it loses money. That's not something to brag about and tell, you, tell others you have the right to teach them how to do what you do. Uh, and people need to understand that. What does it cost you to make the money that you make? If it costs you more to make it than you're making, well, then you're doing something wrong. But those people who tell folks that everybody should be an entrepreneur, they're just flat out wrong. Most people shouldn't. I have a quote book coming out this year, and I'm going to be carrying a lot of your quotes in there because I love them. One of the uh, quotes is, nobody ever wrote down a plan to be broke, fat, lazy, or stupid. Those things just happen when you don't have a plan. And to go into what you just said about uh, people that go out of business, what would be a good couple of checking questions that you could ask that would give you a lot higher success rate of going into being an entrepreneur? Well, you read my latest book, What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything, and I talk a lot about In fact, I give a checklist in there that you can go through to see if you're actually prepared to go into business on your own. And the first checklist is how much have you read about what it takes to run a successful business? Uh, have you read books about marketing and selling and hiring and firing and budgeting and profit and loss, customer service? leadership. There's a lot of aspects of every single business. And then have you done true market analysis to see where there's really a need and a desire? It's not about whether there's a need or not. It's about whether there is the desire for people to want your product and service. And if there is both a need and a desire, then you can figure out how much it's going to take you to go into business in order to create a product that people are going to want to buy. 
Okay, so with that said, I was itching to ask this question earlier in the first part of the show, which is with you reading 5,000 books, I wrote a book called 50 Books That Will Inspire You and Change Your Life Forever. So I imagine with your 5,000, if I was to say, hey, what are five books that are really necessary to read? Uh, you can restate the one you said in the first program, but what, are, what would be go-to books that they could read to start their business? Would the email be one of well, them? There, there are a lot of great books out there. I would say that anybody needs to read anything by Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn was the one guy who taught me most about being successful. Jim Rohn was the guy who really taught me my speaking style many, many years ago. Jim, R-O-H-N. And uh, he talked about principles, and that's what I talk about, principles. I'm not big on strategies and tactics, but I'm heavy into principles. And so anything by Rohn... I would uh, definitely get into. Then I would read, first, you have to row a little boat. First, you have to row a little boat. And it's a, a great book. And let me, let me just find for you right now, I don't, because you've got a couple of great books out there. And um, while we're talking, I can find it. Because I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we lose perspective. And this book allows you to have perspective, learn how to relax and pull back. You can't throw yourself full-time into everything that you do. Richard Bode, B-O-D-E, is the guy's name. And uh, he, he uh, talks to you about how you have to learn to pull back and put things in the correct order and learn how to relax. And most people say that you've got to work hard all the time, go after it with everything that you've got. You're right, you do. But if you don't learn how to pull back and relax and learn how to put things in perspective, then you will quickly burn out. And that's one of the mistakes I think many, many entrepreneurs have, is that they go at it so hard that they don't learn how to have perspective. His other one is Beachcombing at Miramar. Those two books taught me so much about myself and how to learn back and, and learn to sit back and think and put things in their proper perspective. I believe that's so important. So you've got anything by Rowan. You've got these two by Richard Bode. At that point, you go into some great books by my good buddies. Uh, I would go to Make Change Work, how you, have to, how you have to learn how to be nimble in the marketplace. That's by Randy Pennington, How to Create Distinction. The book is called Create Distinction by Scott McCain. Uh, how to be the best at what matters most. Be the best at what matters most by Joe Calloway. And then I would go to The Fred Factor by Scott Sanborn. I mean, by Mark Sanborn. Excellent. Uh, I'm guessing when you were raising your sons, you were a big proponent of them reading. Did When did you start them out, did you ask them, uh, did you recommend certain books for them to read? I would hand them a book. And I would say, I'll give you 20 bucks at the end if you'll bring me a one-page book report. That's awesome. And so, I, yes, I controlled consequences, control behavior. You hand a kid a book uh, that they don't want to read, mostly a book at all, uh, based on the fact that we have to compete with all the technology today. But when you hand them that book and say, here's a $20 bill on the backside, if you'll bring me a one-page book report on what you learned from this book, you can control their behavior. And somehow along the way, they pick up stuff. i got a son right now, he's 35 years old, who's a fashion designer, and he had to give a speech to 25,000 people uh, the other day, and he sent me a video, and I said, wow, where'd you learn all that? He said, well, I stood back in the room and listened to you speak all those days, Dad. So he said, it just kind of was a part of my 
bringing up. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting that what kids are surrounded with kind of gets inside of them. But we surround them with a lot of stupidity and a lot of dishonesty and a lot of television and a lot of technology. What we need to be surrounding them with is great information and great people, which is one of the things I was fortunate enough to learn early on and to do with my boys, and it all rubs off. Well, another thing you mentioned about businesses failing is the leadership and uh, and the choices that leaders are making to be popular instead of being real leaders and that they want to make their uh, employees happy, which is obviously not only uh, a dumb thing to do, but you can't make anyone happy, as you had referenced in a, in a couple of your material. So what is it what is it that causes this behavior of not being a leader? And how do you well, switch that? Well, it. That being a leader is like being a great parent, and what you just brought up there were the very same things. So we have too many parents and too many leaders who want to make their employees and their kids happy so they will like them, and that's not the goal of, of great parenting or great leadership. Great leadership is to set the vision and the path in the right direction. So you end up with the right result. The very same thing with great parenting. We are responsible as leaders and parents to set the right vision. So what is the vision? Get clarity about that. Then be clear about, and it all comes down to a couple of things. To be a great leader, be a great parent, you have to be clear about what you want to have done or get done. So that kind of clarity is where you start with. Then you have to communicate what you want done. And then you have to teach, educate how you want it done. Then you have to do some analysis about whether it's being done the way you want it done or not being done. At that point, you have to re-educate. And then you have to establish some disciplines. Now, that's not punishment. I have no problem with punishment, by the way. Those are just the consequences. Uh, Good behavior has consequences. Bad behavior has consequences. But discipline is something much different. Religion has disciplines. The military has disciplines. And those are just uh, codes of conduct. This is the way we will do things. This is the way we won't do things. So when you go back to get clarity and then communicate and then educate and then provide those disciplines, do some analysis along the way to make sure you're getting what you want and then re-communicate, re-educate. And at some point, if it's being done, you reward. If it's not being done, you impose a consequence. And uh, our new commander-in-chief, as obviously a leadership style in which he would kind of emulate what you're saying, he doesn't care what people think. He has a vision. So any, any comments about that? You know, I do think while we all know whether you love him or whether you hate him, I, we all wish he would put his phone down. And um, <laughs> uh, I do believe that he's very thin-skinned, which... I I don't approve of. And if we can go as political as you want to or not political, but if we're going to go back to the principles of leadership, he does have clarity. Uh, Whether people like it or not, he does not care. Nor should he care. You know, we've had leaders in the past who ran their presidency, and we have politicians and we have leaders in business who run it all by focus group. How is this going to play? He doesn't care how it plays. He doesn't care how it plays with his own party. He runs the country like a CEO should run their business. Some people say that's not the right way to do it. I personally uh, find parts of that very refreshing 
because when you can look back at George W. Bush, and I wasn't a huge fan, even though I'm an extreme conservative, and say his line, I am the decider, that's a pretty good line. I think we've missed having a decider, and I think parents should be the decider in their family. And I think a business leader has to be the decider. Somebody has to say, this is what we're going to do. We are not doing this, and this is what I'll put up with and what I won't put up with. We need that from our leadership. And that's referenced a bit, if I recall, in uh, Grow a Pair. Yep. Very good. And I, uh, I have a quote that I want to read that kind of went along with the financing or the, the money issues people have. And it's, uh, your biggest problem is not in your wallet or your bank account. Your biggest problem is between your ears. You will fix the, your money problems when you fix your other problems. So we've talked a lot about what those other problems are. But how do people uh, get out of their way quickest? <laughs> I recorded an audio series for Nightingale Coney years ago called Get Out of Your Own Way. <laughs> it it uh, comes down to understanding that you are in your own way. You know, the best thing you can have for self-help and business growth is a mirror. And look yourself in the eye and say, everything that's going on in my life is my own fault. When people are first willing to do that and have the ability to accept the answer that it is your own fault and stop blaming others and stop looking for some place to to assign the blame other than yourself that is the true first step to turning your life and your business and your parenting your money and and everything else going on around when you're able to do that most people are never able to do that you get a lot of yeah buts yeah, but if they had, forget all of that stuff. Realize at some level, everything that's going on in your life is your own fault. Now, I get a lot of pushback on that because they say, Larry, you don't understand. This really isn't my fault. And the way I'll handle that is I'm not going to argue with anybody. I'm really not. I, I'm kind of like what you just said Trump was. I don't care. You can believe me or not believe me. That's your business. doesn't matter to me. But let's just say something fell out of the sky and hit you on the head and that it really wasn't your fault. What you do about it is still your fault. That's right. So at some level, even if you didn't cause it, how you react or respond to it still comes down to you. And so you are the key to your success. So if you want to get out of your own way, stop all blame. Go right to the source of the problem, which is you. Think about your thinking that caused it, your actions that caused it. Make a decision to do things differently in the future. Look at the core values that created the actions that created the result. And that's when you can turn, turn things around. Work backwards. What, here's my result. What actions caused the result? And what was going on in my belief system that caused me to believe those actions were the correct actions to take? When you work backwards, it's much easier to solve. Well, this is my favorite part of the, the entire show because it really is the part that if people are listening to the show and they really get what you just said, you've just empowered them because the shift of moving the blame to everyone else is they have the power and you're waiting for them to ex, uh, exercise that power so you can enjoy life or have the life you want. And I've noticed every single person that has a problem in the relationship, they are actually having their finger out, not in. And that's why the relationship continues to be that way. And once you take control of the fact that it's you, you can change it. When you change it, you get a different experience. That different experience typically is a positive one if you take accountability. So well Absolutely. said. Absolutely. You know, I, I finished the book, What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything, um, 
talking about that it really does come down to us. I got a question the other day, and I do a lot of these as you and I have talked, and they say, well, Larry, it's kind of doom and gloom in your book there about uh, how bad it is in every single area of the world and society and so forth. What can we do to fix things? And I said, nothing. Because <laughs> we're not going to fix the You're not going to fix government. We're not going to fix the world. We're not going to fix schools. We're not going to do any of that. Uh, I do believe we're past the tipping point. The only thing we can ever do is fix ourselves. That's what it comes down to. You can't fix your business. I get more emails from people saying, how do I fix my boss? But you can't. <laughs> you just can't. Fix yourself. And if enough of us take responsibilities for our individual lives and fix the way we do things, just yourself, just fix the way you do things, and enough of us individually do that, then collectively we can have some impact on things. But you can't sit out with your goal, I'm going to fix government, I'm going to fix my business, I'm going to, you can't. Just fix you. Well, I actually would love to move to a, a part of our show called Rapid Fire, and it's how quick can I ask a question or Rose ask a question and how quick you can answer it, because in the next five minutes, we certainly have a lot more to ask you, and we, we want to get as much information from you. I can answer you. quick. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So you love uh, stating quotes. What's a favorite quote of yours? Again, it goes back to Jim Rohn. What is easy to do is just as easy not to do. All right. Rose, do you have a question? Yeah, from your six books, which one is your favorite? Your kids are your own fault. All right. Um, When was a time that you had a lot of adversity, um, and how would you come through it? When my business, I ran a telecommunications business when the state of Oklahoma ruled that what I did was no longer going to be legal and they didn't grandfather my telecommunications business and I went to work that day a rich guy and went home that day bankrupt lost everything when was that that was uh, now just 32 years ago best thing that ever happened to me I went out and said I have no idea what I'm gonna do I went from being the company president to mowing my neighbor's yard I sold everything that I had in my house uh, except for our beds. I literally did sell it all. I had a garage sale every weekend, selling furniture to make ends meet because I had a commitment to my commitments, which were my bills. And I, after losing everything, I had it all tied up in that business. I had to make some really tough decisions about how I was going to move forward. I became a professional speaker, started selling sales training, uh, and selling that sales training turned into the career that I have today. And that it was that adversity that taught me all of the things that I was really made of, my core values, and that's what I went back to. That's very admirable. Rosa? What would be your advice to someone who's going through a really tough time right now? Suck it up, buttercup. Don't think you're special. Really, people <laughs> get, go through a bad time, and they start playing poor me, and they start blaming And when you play poor me and start blaming, you can't move forward. So just suck it up, take responsibility, figure out what you're going to have to do from an action standpoint, and get off your butt every single day and stay busy. Don't wallow in the misery. Uh, You like Merle Haggard, the Okie from Muskogee song? I love Merle Haggard. He never spent much time in Muskogee, Oklahoma. He had an uncle that grew up about 30 miles away. But, yep, I love Merle Haggard. And I'll just do a part two. What's another favorite artist of yours? Elvis. Elvis, Elvis. Merle Haggard, and Leon Russell. Those are my big three. Oh, those are good ones. Rosa? 
Uh, <laughs> you go next. <laughs> okay, I, I got plenty of them. All right, uh, what are you most proud of? My sons. I taught my sons how to grow up and be good men and become good fathers to their sons. And it wasn't anything I ever bought them. It's what I taught them. And do you want to say their names? Yeah, sure. Tyler, he's a cop. And Patrick, he's a fashion designer in L.A. And, yep, I'm real proud of him. And he's in L.A., you said? Yeah. Because you say you spoke to 25,000 people. That's uh, quite, a, quite a feat. So that's awesome. Okay. Um, and what's next for you? Less. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you said you wanted short answers. Less. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best short answer you could give. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And uh, you do events. Are, are you doing any events uh, anywhere where people can come and see you? I have an event coming up in November teaching people how to get clarity around their messaging. If they'd like to become a professional speaker, write a book, something like that. It's in Atlanta. and People can just go to my website or call my office or go to baspeaker.org, and they'll find some things out about it there. Well, I'm in D.C. Coming to D.C. anytime soon? Uh, you know, I'm not sure I have anything on my calendar for D.C. right now. I'm really not. I, it's not the big convention city that it once was. Most of my stuff happens in uh, Vegas and Orlando. Those are still the two big convention cities. Well, I will make it out to see you one of these times because uh, it really was a treat having you on the show. And you are definitely the, the bull, pit bull, but you also just say it straight in a very loving way. So you have a beautiful heart, Larry, and I, I thank you so much for I being on the show. I appreciate that. I really do. It's been fun being on here. So let's talk about how people can follow you on Facebook or social media and how they can connect with you on a website. Sure. LarryWingett.com is where you can find out everything. I even give away a lot of free stuff on there. So I can, uh, I can direct you to LarryWingett.com, look at free stuff, click on that, download some of that free stuff. If you want to follow me on social media, it's just Larry Wingett fan page on Facebook, Larry Wingett on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, I'm very interactive on Facebook, so we mix it up. I post something provocative every single day to make people mad, to make them think. If you make them mad, they'll think, and they'll get clear about what they believe if they're arguing with you about what you believe. So that's always a good thing. Well, Larry, thanks again for being on our show. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversation. And, of course, if you look up uh, Larry on Facebook, you'll find out all kinds of other places you can experience him, follow him. And you're a a leader that I actually want to follow. And so I hope I can help you in the future. And just let me know how I can, Larry. Thanks. I appreciate it. You two have been a lot of fun to talk to. Okay. You have been amplified, and we will be in touch later to find out how we can get together in Atlanta. Have a great week. Thanks a lot. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.